It was supposed to be the greatest achievement in the history of astronomy. C'était une grande réalisation. It was uh, over seven and a half billion U.S. dollars in today's money. Seven and a half billion dollars to design and build by 6,000 men and women working for over 10 years. Uh, it was named after the, one of the pioneers of astronomy, Dr. Edwin Hubble. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope was designed to orbit 613 kilometers above the Earth. Because there's a problem with telescopes here on the planet that when a telescope looks out into space, the Earth's atmosphere has a distorting effect. And so the Hubble Space Telescope was designed to view space from space so that mankind for the first time could see into the never-before-seen depths of the universe. Pretty cool. Its dominant feature was the main mirror used for focusing. That main mirror was nine feet in diameter from side to side, huge. And this massive nine-foot deep mirror took the work of engineers six years to grind to its exact specifications with the utmost precision. And then, finally, on April 24, 1990, 1990, it was carried into outer space by the space shuttle Discovery. And so as the, the, uh, the, everything was in place, all of the people gathered around those old ancient computers from 1990, uh, waiting for the first images to appear. So exciting. Can you imagine being in that room? And so as they, they watched the data stream in and finally were able to try to manipulate the telescope, all of a sudden they realized there was a horrible problem. And all of the engineers and, and scientists and astronomers soon panicked as they realized what had happened. It was, it was tragic. It was expensive. It was the worst case scenario. They could not get the telescope to focus. It didn't work. And so now, after billions of dollars and 6,000 engineers and, and, and 10 years of work and years before that of planning, it was nothing. It was space junk <laughs> flying around in orbit. They could not get it to focus. And so they began the investigation. What was the problem? What went wrong? And here is what they found. They discovered that somewhere along the way, years ago, there had been the slightest error, just a tiny little error in the calibration of the instruments that were, were working on that main mirror. 
And so for years, the readouts had been telling them that everything was good. When in fact, in 1990, when it was too late, all of a sudden, they realized that everything was not good. Everything was not as it appeared, and here is why. The problem was the equipment they were using to make their decisions was unreliable and untrustworthy. Can you imagine making such a horrible and expensive mistake? I, I, somebody probably lost their job. I don't know. But, but it, it, in today's money, it cost over $1 billion to fix the problem. It took another four more years of work and a series of risky spacewalks where people risked their lives to finally fix the problem and finally make the Hubble telescope work the way that it was designed to work. And of course, we look at that and we say, why in the world would they do that? What, what would cause such a thing? How, how could they make such a, a horrible and expensive mistake? Why did they not check the accuracy of their decision-making equipment more carefully? And then we look at our own lives and ask the same thing. Why are we sometimes not checking the accuracy of our decision-making equipment? Is it possible that some of the horrible and expensive mistakes that we have made in our lives is because our decision-making equipment was wrong? And over the next few months, or the next month rather, over the next few weeks, we are going to, uh, to look at this idea of how reliable is our decision-making equipment equipment because you might not be sending shuttles and telescopes into space but every day you are making huge and life-altering decisions aren't you every day you're making lifestyle choices and financial choices and and career choices and sexual choices and relational choices and the decisions that you make today determine where you will end up tomorrow and so how reliable is the decision-making equipment that you are using and here's what most people say. See if you would agree with me that most people say, at its most basic, what you need to do is just what? Follow your heart. Now, of course, you know, we know that we need to, to do all of our research and, and, and gather all the information. And a lot of times, maybe we'll ask for advice from close friends or family members. And of course, we go to the most reliable source. We search the internet. Uh, we Google it. And, and, and then people say, but in the end, what you need to do is just follow your heart. You need to do what it feels like you should be doing. Follow your attractions, money, family, career choices. Every Hallmark movie that I watch in December has taught me this lesson. Every YouTube channel that's telling you how you ought to live your life. Every episode of The Bachelor, or so I'm told, I've never seen, says that you need to just follow your heart. And yet, get this, this is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. You see, the Bible says a lot of things about your heart that we're going to look at over the next month. But one thing the Bible absolutely says not to do is to just follow your heart. And so really quickly today, let me show you three things the Bible says about your heart and why it is not good 
for just using in your decision making. The first thing is, number one, because our hearts are naturally self-centered. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 19 says, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. And so does my heart naturally reflect what God says is best? No, does, does my heart naturally care about what's best for you? Does my heart naturally want what's best for the world? No, my heart is completely focused on me. My heart says, everything needs to be about me, about me, about me. In fact, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9. Jesus says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Jesus says that your heart is naturally drawn towards selfish things. That left on its own, your heart will naturally lead you towards destruction. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't change and grow and become like Jesus, because we can. In fact, that's what God wants to do. God wants to change your heart and do something beautiful inside of you. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26 God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's what God wants to do. And he says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God wants to do. But the only way that, that we can have that happen in our lives is first of all, when we realize what the natural condition of our heart is, when we admit it, when we realize it, when we stop trusting it. That's what the Bible says. Number two, our hearts are easily fooled by emotion. Uh, could you read with me Jeremiah 17 verse nine? Let's read this out loud together. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Say it like you mean it. Say that last line with me. Who can understand it? I was reading a book by Andy Stanley and something really struck me where he talked about sharing a conversation with a young lady. Let me read it to you. He said, as I talked with her about her decision to move in with her boyfriend, she could tell that I disapproved. And I'll never forget her defense. She said, I, I know it's not the best thing. I mean, I know what the Bible says about sex and marriage and all of that, but this is what I need right now. And Stanley continues, my heart broke for her. For earlier in our conversation, she admitted, admitted that similar decisions in the past had always complicated her life. They always took a toll on her self-esteem. And nevertheless, here she was going back for another round. And so why do we make these choices again and again, even when we know what God says? Jeremiah 17 says, because our heart is deceitful above all things. You cannot trust it. You cannot understand its ways. Our hearts are foolish. Patty Loveless sings, you can blame it on your lying, cheating, cold, dead, beaten, two-time and double-dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. <laughs> Selena Gomez, a modern poet. 
sings, save your advice because I won't hear. You might be right, but I don't care. There are a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. Then for a little Southern flavor, Reba McIntyre <laughs> says, the heart is a lonely hunter with only one desire. That's kind of like Reba, isn't it? <laughs> In fact, our family used to watch the Reba show. Did you ever see that on TV? The Reba show? And there was one thing that she says, unlike anybody else in all the world, if you've ever watched Reba McIntyre on TV, uh, you know what she says. Tracy's smiling because she knows. Whenever she would say it, I would always repeat it. It would just get stuck in my head. Somebody would say something and she would ask, why, why, why? So, okay. The heart is a lonely hunter with only one desire to find some lasting comfort in the arms of a lover's fire. Uh, Journey fans, any 80s rock and roll fans, any Journey fans here today? When I think of Journey, I think of my, uh, my son, my 19-year-old son who just arrived home, landed at the airport from college in the United States. Last night, our son, our, both of our kids are home, we're so excited. But Journey, don't stop believing. Not that song. I like that one. Journey sings, foolish heart, hear me calling, stop before you start falling. Foolish heart, heed my warning. You've been wrong before. Don't be wrong anymore. And then if you want to speak of modern philosophy, it doesn't get any better than the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how to imitate the Grateful Dead. Hawaiian shirts maybe, I don't know. Anybody under the age of 40 has no idea what I'm talking about. The Grateful Dead sings, this, this is powerful. It almost sounds like biblical poetry. A foolish heart will call on you to toss your dreams away and then turn around and blame you for the way you went astray. A foolish heart will cost you sleep and often make you curse. A selfish heart is trouble, but a foolish heart is worse. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Can we just be honest? How often we know what we're supposed to do. We know what the Bible says. We know what's right. We know that certain things are dangerous for us, but we keep doing it anyway. And today in our world with sexual confusion and gender confusion and identity confusion, and people getting deeper and deeper in debt and addictions and money problems and fighting and division and politics and war, the Bible says that so many of the problems in our world are because of us following our hearts, following our feelings. And number three says the reason is because our hearts tend to rationalize sin. Our hearts are really good at making reasons for why we ought to do what we know we should not. There's an amazing story in Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament. And you know that when, when Jesus had returned to heaven. Now the disciples, after being empowered by the Holy Spirit 
at Pentecost go out and they begin sharing the good news of Jesus and telling everybody and people begin surrendering their lives to Christ and lives are changed and it is awesome. And so for most of those people, as they come and become part of the church, they started making huge sacrifices. People in the church were investing their time and their money and their energy to advance the growth of the church and to meet the needs of the poor in the early church people gave of their money and their jewelry and their possessions and I mean just whatever they had and so in the middle of it all there was this one couple who came forward and made a pledge to give some money that they, they apparently it was a public pledge that, it, that people knew about when you read the story in its context, that they had some money that they were going to put up for sale. And, and, and when the money sells, they said, we're going to give all the money from that property to the church, to the cause of Jesus. And so Acts chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet now you have to wonder why did this couple do such a thing and and i and i thought about this and i thought well maybe maybe it's because they ended up getting more money than they thought the property was worth maybe they thought the land was only worth $20,000. And so they put it up for sale with a high price and a bidding war broke out and all of a sudden they ended up with $40,000 and they had a decision to make. What are we going to do? And so their heart began to rationalize why it was okay to be dishonest. And so they, maybe they began to think, well, you know, we only thought that it was worth $20,000 and that's what we plan to give and that's still what we'll do and we'll just keep the rest the extra profit for ourselves, and, and nobody will ever know. And in verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Notice, what, is Paul, what does Peter say the problem is? He says it is a heart problem. Peter says, how has Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? In other words, Peter said, nobody was twisting your arm. Nobody forced you to do this. Nobody pressured you. You made a big deal of this all on your own. He said, and after it was sold, wasn't the money still at your disposal? He said, you could have told us that you changed your mind and been honest about it. You could have said, well, you know, we got 40000 instead of 20000 and so we're still going to give that amount. We're going to use the rest to go on a vacation to Hawaii or to put in the kids' college fund. And, but instead, he says, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so notice here, that sin is always a God issue. In other words, he says, you could have come and told us, but instead, you've lied. And whenever you do anything in any way in this world that is displeasing to God or man, God knows. And 
One of the things that's really interesting about being a pastor is how sometimes people will come to me or in the midst of a conversation, they'll try to explain the choices that they're making or something that they did in their life in such a way that it kind of looks like they're looking for me to say it's okay. And, uh, and so one of the things that, that is true, though, is that it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> like, me thinking something you did is okay does not necessarily mean you're off the hook with God. It, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm not your judge. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what the church thinks. They're not your judge. You see, sin and disobedience to God is always a God issue. And, and Peter says, when you lied about this offering, it wasn't just lying to men. You were lying to God. And in verse 5, something really, really shocking happens. Are you ready? When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Right there in the middle of church. That'll mess up your worship plans for the day. <laughs> Who knew taking offering was so dangerous? And uh, that, thank you for not dying during the offering today. It says, and great fear, can you imagine? Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then the young men came and they wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Now I know this sounds dramatic, but I wonder how often we try to hide things from God. As if somehow we can fool God. But that's what our heart tells us. We think, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, it's just my little secret. Because that's what the world says, right? That is the mantra of our culture. Our world says, do whatever you feel as long as you're not hurting anybody else, it's okay. Like that's the standard for righteousness. As long as you don't hurt anybody else, it's all right. But that's not what God's word says. There is a higher standard than that. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, the ways that seem right to the world, the ways that seem right to our culture may seem right, but in the end, they lead to death. And that death might not be immediate. Hopefully, nobody will drop down dead in the service today, like Ananias and Sapphira did. But according to Proverbs 14, in the end, one way or the other, it always leads to destruction when you just blindly follow your heart in the ways of the world. And so that's the bad news. But are you ready for some good news? The good news is that God wants to be your guide. God wants to help you. And I love Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Are you, we'll just take a minute. There were like five people who thought that was awesome. For everybody else, let's join them, okay? God wants to help you and be your guide, okay? That's good news. And so Proverbs 25, this is a long passage and you can go back, there's a lot of content. You can read the rest of it when you get home later this afternoon or later this week. But Psalm 25, let's read this out loud together. Are you ready? Here we go. This is a prayer. Let's say it together. Oh Lord, 
I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Let me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows me the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his commands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to come back and look at how we can receive direction from God for our hearts. How he wants to, to help us, how we can listen to him and, and get our hearts calibrated to follow Jesus. And so please come back next week for that. But I wonder today, if you have come here today with some questions and you need answers, maybe the fact is that you came in with a heavy and burdened heart. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. And Jesus says, if that is you, here's what you can do. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that good news? Can I just read that again? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls. Oh. Isn't that good news? And listen, if that's where you are today, if you are heavy burdened, if you feel weary in your bones, know that God wants to restore your heart. God wants to give you the peace that can only come from surrendering to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you have been searching 
for something down deep in your heart, we would suggest to you today, we who have been transformed, we who have found hope, we who have found this peace that passes all understanding, that just doesn't make any sense to the world, the ways of God that seem like foolishness to the world and even foolishness to our hearts, that God may be speaking down past your heart into your very soul, to the very fiber of your being today as he speaks your name and calls out to you for healing and hope. Would you stand with me? And so in just a minute, we're going to sing a song about surrender. And as we do, we invite our prayer team to come down uh, forward today. And we have folks here every Sunday who are here to pray with you. Uh, maybe there's some area of disobedience to God or some secret that you've walked into the room with today and your heart is heavy and you need a release. You need to give that to Jesus. You can do that right at your seat. There's nothing special or intrinsically about coming forward today, but sometimes you need someone to help you, someone to pray with you. And if you need that today, they would love to pray for your healing, to join you in praying for forgiveness. Maybe it's a financial issue or a relational issue, a job issue. But as we sing this song would you just surrender yourself to God and make this song the prayer of your heart?